Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of CanadaLand Shortcuts is brought to you by TunnelBear, the simple privacy app that makes it easy to access a more open internet and browse privately. Go to freetunnelbear.com, start using it for free right now. Matt Braga. Jesse. Freelance journalist, investigative journalist. That is me. Lone Wolf Soprano. <laughs> I don't know if I would. Just own it. We are going to be talking today about <laughs> Pokemon Go, and we're going to be talking about what is happening with getting access to information in this country. What is actually happening with investigative journalism? Because things are happening with investigative journalism in this country. Welcome to Candlelight Shortcuts. Thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Laura, Naomi, Jennifer Hogan, Tim Tanner, Tomek Nyat, Werner Sikora, Joan Gladwell, and James Stewart. James, why did you decide to be awesome? Because of the platform you've given for sexual abuse victims and the voice that you've given uh, in this day and age when the legal system continues to fail victims of sexual abuse. What you've done is very... This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what 
Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Tunnel Bear. Matt, you are constantly using red phone and various types of (laughs) internet encryption platforms to have confidential communiques with your many anonymous sources? Uh, Many, many, all over the world. These things are not so user-friendly. If you are interested in being private on the internet for any reason, whether you're dealing with a source, you just want to protect your credentials because you're in an airport or at a cottage on a Wi-Fi connection, the security novice solution is TunnelBear, which will just encrypt everything you do. You won't leave a trail. Even TunnelBear's employees won't know. You won't be leaving your IP address, which can let outsiders snoop on where you are in the world. It's just a very easy way to just turn anonymity on, turn privacy on by having this little bear tunnel to another part of the world and you surf the internet through this little bear's connection in some other part of the world. Go to freetunnelbear.com. There is an iOS app. There is an Android app. There is a very lightweight Chrome extension. Go freetunnelbear.com. The first 500 megabytes of surfing is free. This Pokemon is driving me crazy. It's driving me nuts everywhere you go. It's Pokemon here, Pokemon there. (laughs) Remember Pokemon? Big hit in the late 90s. Well, it's exploding in popularity once again. It's become a new smartphone game that is played in the real world using augmented reality technology. This is when digital information is superimposed on top of the real world around you by looking through your phone. The lures are placed virtually across the city by other players to attract people to various hotspots. Players follow the GPS-guided map on their phone and collect virtual monsters to earn points. You know, Matt, I'm going to make fun of all that coverage of Pokemon Go in a moment, and I'll take great pleasure in doing so. But first, I just want to recognize how much joy I take in this being a week where we are not talking about some horrible mass shooting of some kind. Like, isn't it wonderful to have a week of the summer where we can just make fun of of the media's really weird take on this video game? (laughs) I mean, it's certainly nice to have, uh, not to say that all that discussion isn't still happening, it just seems like it's been temporarily usurped for better or for worse by Pokemon. This is where we're at, where we're just sort of like, I'm glad that there wasn't a mass shooting this week, Mm -hmm. you know? and and Which is kind of sad. It's very sad. I just went from being elated to kind of bummed out. Um, (laughs) 
whenever this kind of stuff happens, I mean, it's cute to hear these anchors struggling and they get some kind of like, I used to play this role. You know, Jesse, you're a tech person. You seem to be under 30. Uh, mm-hmm. What is this Pokemon Go? And why should we be terribly afraid? Like, it's this like simultaneous thing of like, help me understand this and judge it to be useless and unimportant. It's almost like you're setting it up to be like, we're going to explain this to you, but we're also going to make it okay for you to justify not giving a damn and not trying yeah, to understand it. Absolutely ignore it. We'll give you just enough of a taste so that you know what's going on and so that you can understand when people talk about it at the water cooler. But hell no, you're never going to be caught dead playing it. And being well past that, like, let's bring on the young tech guy age. I get it now. I'm like, do I have to learn about this? Do I have to know what Snapchat is? The bus just keeps going without you. So like, you kind of do, or you could just become like, who gives a damn about that crap? Because like, that's how people deal with being out of the loop is like, it's crap and I don't care. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to make the effort. You don't want to be like the lame old dad who's like playing Pokemon. But that's how I learned about it. It's like, while my five-year-old played with my neighbor's five-year-old, his dad showed me how to use Pokemon Go. And that is a sa- the saddest admission I've made on this show. But I mean, that's great. I mean, there's I, I think there's this sort of belief that perhaps you have to, you know, something like Snapchat comes along or Pokemon Go that you have to all of a sudden become this expert in the platform. And it's like, you can try it out. You can download it. You can kind of play around and maybe kind of get it. But like, you don't have to live and breathe it. Like, it's just another thing that you can kind of choose to be interested in. I don't know. And kind of why not? I mean, as I understand it, it's actually making people engage in the city in a really interesting way that's and with my each other part absolutely that, so that's, you're, you're on it you're using this i've been using it off and on i mean i was using it over the weekend i drove out to napanee with my girlfriend's parents and um i don't know like it, it was kind of neat like it made me kind of i was in the middle of a city that i'd never been in and downtown napanee is not that large but basically spent like 15 minutes just walking around the city in a way that i might not have done so otherwise which was kind of cool I think Jane Jacobs would love this. Game. I really, you know, but instead, like a lot of the media coverage is like, okay, now that we've explained it, we have to find out what's wrong with it. Yeah. And you get a lot of these stories of like, you'll wander into a bad part of town. You'll fall off a cliff. Like there was even one story that was like, so inappropriate. There is a Pokemon at Auschwitz. Oh, right. And there was the, it was the Holocaust Museum in Washington that posted a tweet that said, you know, this isn't the place you should be playing it. I think Arlington Cemetery did the same thing. It's this hyper condensed cycle of, you know, discovery to explainer to backlash to, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's, it seems like maybe I'm just more aware of it because I cover technology and like this sort of stuff, but it seemed like it happened so quickly. They could really just spend all the time explaining and they'd be doing their audience a bigger service. I mean, to even hear these like TV news reports trying to explain how it's not officially available in Canada, but you can get it anyhow. And to kind of like explain the process by which that is happening on mass, they don't quite get there. Oh man, a few people were describing it as uh, people that illegally obtained the Pokemon game. And I'm sitting there in front of my like screen going, no, that's not, it's not illegal. That's not how this works. But you know, at a certain point, you kind of just, uh, you sure, just scofflaw. Sure, it's not. <laughs> We're going to go and do something that we call duly noted. Yeah. Here at Candleland Shortcuts. What I want to talk about is the story that started as a Rebel Media exclusive. <laughs> I'm not even like, that's. I, I was in a mocking tone, right. and I guess I will mock. I shouldn't but laugh. We should laugh, and there will be a reason to laugh. But I also, like, it's, I have this weird relationship with them where I'm like, well, you know, they totally did find something that's newsworthy. And they found it, and they A-tipped it. This followed uh, an earlier disastrous attempt to actually cover what is happening in Atlantic Canada as Syrian refugees are integrating into the into those societies and into the public school system, which is obviously going to be not without its difficulties and hella interesting and totally newsworthy. Mm-hmm. And what they found, because they got an anonymous tip from a parent, and the parent said uh, to the rebel that there were 22-year-old immigrants 
who were posing as high school students and getting into the public high schools, hitting on 14-year-old girls. And the result, said this anonymous parent, that the Canadian boys were, quote-unquote, frustrated. <laughs> so... Wow, I'm not, there, there are so many layers of, oh, yeah. of things to unpack here. Uh, they may well have been frustrated anyhow, but okay. So they went and they atipped what is the internal email dialogue within the school system around this influx of Syrian refugees. And like, yeah, they found some stuff. I'll read to you from what they found. This is the department head for international students at Fredericton High School in an email. And she wrote, we are living in a province where there are no official EAL, English as Alternative Language, courses for high school, no alternative programming for war-affected youth, no personnel that have designated roles like translator interpreters, for example, to help us settle youth down, make them feel at ease, and help them navigate a whole new set of cultural and social norms. The Rebel, of course, focused in their exclusive expose by Faith Goldie on her show On the Hunt. Their headline was, exclusive, Faith Goldie investigates Syrian migrants in New Brunswick schools. What they're literally saying is we're investigating high school students. <laughs> and they, and they, 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 you know, it was a big cover-up from the public school that the public school was trying to hide all of the bullying and violence that these Syrian migrants uh, were causing. Well, a high school not sharing information about teenagers with the mm-hmm. media is not necessarily a cover-up. But yeah, there were teachers saying like, yeah, there are instances where like these kids who don't speak English and aren't being taught English are uh, running up against social problems. There have been some incidents of violence. There have been incidents where, oh my God, these Syrian guys are supposedly hitting on, you know, and the age thing is totally like, yeah, that's weird if they're 22 year olds and, and there are questions about the infrastructure and whether or not they've got the resources. There is a news story in there that is not necessarily an investigation of minors and it got picked up by the Canadian press. I bring this up as a not so short, duly noted, (laughs) Just to like note the weird evolution of how information, the information got filtered, I think filtered well in the Canadian press story Mm -hmm. in that a lot of the more sensationalistic claims disappeared probably because they couldn't be substantiated because just because a a teacher in an email said something happened or alluded to something, a lot of it was – we have a student here who is Israeli who made a complaint that, you know, he felt a certain way. Well, did something happen or didn't it? That's maybe out of the scope of the teacher's email. Mm-hmm. So the Canadian press story had a headline, sudden influx of Syrian refugees overwhelmed New Brunswick High School, say, documents. And I think that was the most sober and responsible bit of news reporting. But then that Wire story gets picked up by the Toronto Star. And of course, they can kind of take what they want from Wire copy. Yep. And the way the star ran it was New Brunswick educators overwhelmed with influx of foreign students, says report. And that story only used like 250 words of the Canadian press. So it was almost like (laughs) news washing from the rebels hyper right wing anti-immigrant version to the Toronto Stars, which is just like basically everything is going great, but the system is failing, Mm -hmm. leaving out that there might be anything wrong with the student's behavior and leaving up, frankly, newsworthy aspects of the story, hmm. all based on the exact same reporting. You know, you can kind of see that sometimes in, in other reporting when you look at when everyone has the same source of information and seeing how everyone kind of processes it and filters it and kind of, you know, interprets it, I think is always a really interesting sort of exercise. Because I, I don't think you'll ever meet another reporter that says that they don't read what their competitors are writing about the same subjects on the same beats as them. Yeah. And so that's always when you kind of find the most interesting things is like, oh, you know, on the, you know, the one hand, you know, what were the angles or, you know, approaches that perhaps I missed or, you know, could have done differently. To the other hand, you know, actually seeing what's the word I'm looking for? 
I think spin, you know? Spin, I, spin. Like, because I think yeah. it's, it's like the opposite of the Rashomon thing, which is like what I think news should be, which mm-hmm. is people like to say my truth, I'm speaking my... And yeah. it's like, yes, there is objective truth, but there's also many perspectives. And I think the best we can possibly do is get many people saying like, I spoke to someone, I saw this, I researched this, this is what I think. And then mm-hmm. somebody else saying, well, I spoke to somebody else, I saw something else. That's not what happened here. Mm-hmm. Here, everyone is taking the same reporting, the same ATIP documents, and then later the same Canadian press quotes. And putting a completely different angle on the exact same information, Hmm. you know, which is like not necessarily providing much sustenance to anybody. Like you're just spinning the same thing. Duly noted. noted. Matt, what do you have for us? So I had a bunch of time over the weekend uh, where I was on a car ride uh, and I've been saving a Mother Jones article by uh, Shane Bauer. He's a senior reporter there, an investigative journalist, and he spent the past few years investigating the uh, Corrections Corporation of America, which for those who aren't familiar in the U.S., you have the public prison system, you have the private prison system. And the public prison system, of course, is subject to all sorts of access requests and document disclosure requirements as government agencies uh, and departments are required. Uh, But the public public prison system is not. And so as a result, uh, there's been little transparency into the processes and the things that go on uh, within America's private prisons. And so you can kind of rely on, I guess, whistleblowers and leakers to a certain extent to get information about the treatment of prisoners and, and uh, you know, the staffing and things like that. Or you can do what Shane did, who applied for a job as a CO, a corrections officer uh, at a prison in Louisiana. And uh, he spent four months working undercover as a prison guard. On the one hand, it's this fascinating piece of investigative journalism because he doesn't change his name and he doesn't lie about who he is or where he comes from. He kind of just conveniently leaves out the fact that he's a journalist, right? He doesn't deny it. No one mm-hmm. ever asks him. It's, it's five chapters. It's like 30,000 words, I think. It's very long. And uh, it's quite the read. I would recommend uh, anyone who has any interest in uh, investigative journalism, in um, you know the prison system in America. That sounds fascinating. Worth uh, turning yourself away from Pokemon Go. Absolutely. Duly noted. Now's the time when we talk about our other sponsor, and our other sponsor is FreshBooks.com. And Matt, you're you're a freelancer. I am. It's just something that is built for you. It's actually built for you and for me. I don't mean to suggest that you're going to grow into me or should aspire to. That's not what I'm getting at here, Matt. (laughs) Stop looking at me like that. The point is, I used to freelance, and now I have a very small business, and it actually has kind of scaled. Like, it works just as well for a small business as it does for a freelance journalist, and it's built to save us both a lot of time when we're sending invoices to clients, when we're tracking how much time we spend on the work that we do, and it gets you paid faster. And they did some analytic research. And what they found is that on average, their customers double their revenue in the first 24 months. I don't think that's a coincidence. When you've got more time to focus on your business, you have to spend less time on your accounting. It's a good thing. Check it out for free. Try it out for free for 30 days. FreshBooks.com. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them who sent you. Thank you, FreshBooks. So you keep bringing up A-tips. <laughs> it's, it's just all you want to talk about. And I know why. It's uh, access to information and our whole system of demanding public information from public institutions is something that journalists became very frustrated with under the last administration. Mm -hmm. In the Harper years, that system basically stopped working entirely in certain cases, like the RCMP, and slowed to a trickle elsewhere. So is it any better now, Matt? Uh, I mean, the the unsatisfying answer is it really depends on who you talk to and who you're dealing with and what your case is. 
it sounds like such a cop-out answer, but it actually is is the truth. Because, I mean, you know, you talk about the RCMP. I've had requests with them that come back in, you know, within the 30-day limit that the access to information uh, legislation sets out as the initial time period that agencies have to respond to requests. And so, yeah, some requests have come back within that time period. Sometimes they've been extended. Other times I don't get any response at all for months and then have to email people and hound people and go through a Kafka-esque process of trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. It's sort of frustrating because you never really know what you're going to get, right? You've got some analysts who are very eager to help. And and for those who don't know, when you submit a request, your request is assigned to an analyst. And that analyst's job is to interpret your request and kind of help you get the information that you need. Um, they're the actually, analyst as assigned by the institution? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they are actually quite helpful. As much as the regime gets a bad rap, these people are invested in trying to help you as best as they can. Because ultimately, the people who are trying to stonewall you and prevent you from getting information are much higher up than them. And But they do answer to those people ultimately. They absolutely they answer to those people ultimately. But it's interesting because, you know, maybe this isn't totally accurate, but at least the sense I've gotten from talking to a lot of these requesters is, you know, they're basically just researchers, right? You give them a request, you know, maybe you you ask them about some surveillance thing the RCMP is using. And the analyst is going to go, I don't know what the hell that is. And then they do a couple of Google searches and then they say, oh, that's what the requester probably means. And then they go to a bunch of departments and they basically say, do you have any information on this? And past that point, I mean, it's very easy for department heads to kind of come back and say, like, no, that's exempt for whatever reason and things like that. Like, there's sort of this process that then happens after that initial request where there's almost like a negotiation between, well, what can we release? What do we have to redact? What can't we give you? And so... The analysts are insulated from a lot of that in some ways. Sure. And I think what this comes down to is we often blame the bureaucracy, like, oh, they're so slow. They're not Mm -hmm. putting enough resources towards these analysts. But ultimately, if somebody is sitting on information in their department that their name is on an email that incriminates them in some way, they're not holding on to that that information because they're lazy. They're holding on to that information because it could, like, ruin their career because they don't want the truth to get out. Mm -hmm. What we've found is, like, first of all, Hats off to some of these uh, organizations that are no longer blacking out huge paragraphs. Instead, they're whiting them out. We like to share this stuff on Twitter like, wow, I got 15 pages of, of a request file uh, back. And look at it. All of it's blacked out. It doesn't look as dramatic anymore now that we're getting them all. And it's just like white space. But like, it seems like it's almost up to their sole discretion to decide what is exempt and what is not. And you have a recourse if you want, but like you're talking about years in the court. You know, there were a couple of people on on Twitter who I think chimed in after, you know, I voiced my frustration. Uh, and to be clear, you know, the frustration that I have with the ATIP process is not unique. I mean, tons of people have this ongoing problem with getting information in a timely matter. And I was just particularly cranky that day. And you're right. I mean, you do have a recourse in that if you are prevented from from getting access to information and you think that you were prevented unfairly, you can go to the information commissioner and complain. You can appeal, but the process is so arduous because it really does shift the onus on you to justify why you should have access to it. And if you are a busy reporter, if you're a freelancer, if you're someone who doesn't have legal uh, you know, advisors or insight behind you, right? It's really time consuming to be able to write really competent defenses and arguments as to why information is being, you know, withheld wrongly or why you should have access to something. And so, you know, you end up in this situation where I think a lot of people don't appeal decisions because they think it's just such an arduous process. And, 
The U.S. is a really, really interesting example, though, of what happens when you do start to appeal, because, you know, there's Jason Leopold, who is a reporter at Vice, probably files more freedom of information requests in the U.S. than anyone else. And every opportunity he gets, he will say appeal every time you get denied appeal, because the number of times agencies will basically just deny you information because they think you're not going to appeal and they can get away with it. It's massive. But, you know, he's from an organization that now has some clout. You're speaking from a different perspective as a freelancer. And I think that that's (laughs) really germane here. And, you know, it's almost like on Shortcuts, we usually talk about what's in the press. We're talking about what isn't in the press because it's been obscured. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what's increasingly not going to be in the press, because we're talking just after Global fired all of its investigative reporters on the sometimes excellent show 16 by 9 that does Mm -hmm. real long-term investigative projects. Paul McLeod was doing some investigative stuff at BuzzFeed in Ottawa. They just closed down that bureau. So was Emma. Emma did the drones piece. That's absolutely correct, which is an excellent piece as well. So those are two more who, whatever they were working on, whatever they might work on, we're not going to get that anymore, at least not from BuzzFeed. You know, you can try to make like a case for like, okay, like a local six o'clock newscast is is shortened from 60 minutes to 30 minutes. Did the public lose there? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they lost something. Maybe they're getting the news elsewhere. When an investigative reporter is fired and they've been working on a story for a year that takes two years, the public just lost that. There is just like such a direct line between the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And I think people like after Spotlight are kind of starting to get this, that the work that can only be done over long periods of time with institutional support. And that matters when you're filing an FOI because – when you see that it's some investigative reporter who's like some freelancer, like, is this guy going to like lawyer up and appeal? But when you see that it's the Globe and Mail mm-hmm. or it's the CBC, I think that you're in a different frame of mind for fulfilling that that ATIP request. And increasingly, we're farming this work out to freelancers like yourself. Officially, if you look on the ATIP guidelines, it says, you know, they're not supposed to care who the requester is because anyone in the public can request documents. But I do wonder sometimes what is the internal sort of, you know, um, calculus, right? When you receive a request from, you know, a random private citizen who just, you know, wants to know about the property line in his backyard versus someone who's acting in the capacity of a journalist, right? Yeah. It's hard to sort of point to whether that has an appreciable impact, but they definitely know. Like, they absolutely know when it's me requesting stuff versus a random citizen because I've had conversations with requesters who basically say, you know, why don't you talk to so-and-so in this department and they'll give me like an officer at the RCMP or they'll give me like a person who actually works, you know, in, you know, industry Canada or something. Right? Well, often you'll know you more, know? maybe even usually you'll know more about what you're requesting than the, 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 the analyst there who yeah, you're dealing with. Absolutely. Well, and it makes me wonder too. It's like, you know, do they do that because I'm a journalist or do they do that just because they figure this person is better positioned to help me? I don't know, but so, someone should do know. some journalism into that. <laughs> someone, someone should do an investigative report. Well, a sneaky thing you can do that, that I know, um, go uh, undercover and become an become analyst. An Analyst, that would actually be a lot of fun. And you would solve the problem of how do we fund the investigative journalism because you'd be getting paid by the government. <laughs> That's how we'll fund investigative journalism in the future. Whatever immersion industry you're immersing yourself in, they'll pay you to investigate themselves. <laughs> We've solved the problem. It is a problem. How do you solve it? Because the truth of the matter is, mm-hmm. like, and it's this sort of like very important fringe ancillary argument to like like the larger discussion of how do we fund journalism itself well how do you fund investigative journalism because like that is just not profitable well also how do you get into it like i don't know how anyone starts as an investigative journalist anymore i mean um, investigative you know? all, all journalism is or should be investigative to some capacity sure but, but we're talking about something very specific I, I guess i'm talking specifically about 
I find over the past year, I've been increasingly talking to reporters who go about sort of research and uh, talking with sources and developing relationships with sources and putting together stories in a way where the timescales are a lot longer, where the amount of people you're talking to, the way you're talking to them is quite different than when you're just sort of a beat reporter, you know, filing for the paper every day. And I think that's sort of what I'm getting at is, you know, how do you learn how to build, you know, long term relationships with people who will never be authorized to speak that are, you know, deep within the bowels of a government agency or you know, a corporation or, you know, how do you go around with, you know, a camera in your pocket, right? And, you know, figure out how to use sorts of things like that to get information that, you know, you might not otherwise be able to get access to. Like, I guess I'm thinking about things like that, right? Where these sorts of more ingenious ways of reporting that are often required when you are working on topics that go beyond sort of just meeting someone for an interview or picking up the phone. Traditionally, they've worked very well when newspapers have supported them. Mm -hmm. It is sort of like a weird, spooky trade that I think is almost like old school, like, somebody has to apprentice you or like you pick it up bit by bit. And what place does that have in the new regime? There's a lot of ideas. Like nobody has, I think, come up with a viable profit model, but maybe that's the wrong question because you've got like organizations like ProPublica Mm -hmm. in the US that are charitable organizations doing investigative reporting where they just, when they're done, they just give it away. Anybody can publish it who wants to, but you can't have a ProPublica in Canada. <laughs> I'd love if one existed. You, no, you actually can't have one. And what do you I found mean? it. I, I, I used to just like whinge, like, why can't we have that? They have that. Why yeah. can't you actually can't have it? And the reason why you can't have it is because the charity laws in Canada prohibit charities from engaging in political activities. And journalism is almost always or could be considered, depending like if you have an expose, mm-hmm. it has political relevance. Hmm. Right. And and under Harper, charities that were arguably just like science based, yep. they were uh, scientific nonprofit, scientific charities that were just sort of like saying things that were true about the environment or even trying to do good things based on facts and evidence. Mm-hmm. Well, that's politicized now. And all of a sudden the CRA is auditing them to see if they are political organizations or charities. There's no such prohibition in the United States. You can have a politicized charity. So if you started a charitable nonprofit investigative reporting organization in Canada, after their first investigation, somebody would be in a position to say, this is a political group that is trying to affect some sort of political change or make a political point. So like you actually technically can't do that here. And I was part of this process of like, well, what should the government do? Should they be bailing out the newspapers? How can the government help journalism flourish and maintain in Canada? And one of the main points I tried to make is just like, the government can get out of the way and stop putting up roadblocks. And this is a major one. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jesse. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts for the week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at any time. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Matt, where can people find you? At Matt Braga uh, on Twitter and mattbraga.com. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. The Imposture will be up on Wednesday, and this show is produced by Kevin Sexton. The syndicated version of Canada Land, which is offered for free to community and campus radio across this country, is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Planning. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.